we continue, Father, to celebrate the fact that you are with us. Thank you that everything about you is holy, everything about you is perfect, everything about you is righteous and just, and God, you are drawing us into your presence, you're drawing us into a life that is all about you, and I pray that as we lift up our worship today, we'll continue to open up our hearts, open up our lives, and receive from you the glory that you want to share with us. Everything that you are, everything that you've done, is to show us how much you love us and to show us how much you want to draw us to yourself. And so right now, God, as we continue to worship through the preaching of your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us to your heart, would draw us into your presence, and would change our lives today to be more like you as we worship you and as we lift up your name and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to the book of 1 John. We launch our, our Christmas season, and <clears throat> wow, it's just such an exciting time. I know I've said this hundreds of times before, but I have to say it again. This is one of the favorite times of the year for me. I love the Christmas season. I had a young preacher one time who was uh, just starting in his ministry. He'd been in ministry about five or six years. And um, he shared one day, he said, I hate Christmas time. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, it's the same old story over and over and over again. And I said, man, how sad. I said, this is the most exciting time of the year. Well, needless to say, that young preacher is no longer in the preaching ministry. Uh, for me, this is what Christmas, what the season what the, the, the message is all about. It's about celebrating uh, the glory of God who came to us. Uh, let me ask you this morning, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? Um, well, here's what most people think of. Uh, the first thing that comes to their mind when they think of Christmas is Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, gifts and uh, lights and music and uh, celebration and family, these kinds of things. And all of these things are good. All of these things are part of Christmas. I mean, you look around this room this morning and uh, there, there's something special about the presence of the, the, the lights and the trees and the celebration time, the, the family community time and that kind of thing. Somewhere down the list, though, if you're a Christian, you probably list that the celebration of the birth of Jesus is what Christmas is about. Uh, this year, I want us to flip that. I would love for us to flip that and make celebrating the birth and the life of Jesus Christ the highlight of our Christmas season. Uh, I would love for us to make this the most significant thing, make the celebration of the birth and the life of Jesus uh, the most exciting thing that we experience this year uh, in our Christmas season. Now, I don't expect non-believers who have no relationship with God to make Jesus the center of Christmas. But wouldn't it be just great? I mean, wouldn't it be a phenomenal witness to the world if those of us who are believers would truly 
Make Jesus the priority of our Christmas in our life this season. This year we're planning to spend the Christmas season in the little letter of 1 John. Five chapters, we have five Sundays uh, in December. And we're going to walk through each one of these chapters as we walk through our Christmas season this year. The, the purpose of 1 John is to bring you into relationship with God. That's why John wrote this letter. The most important thing in life is for your life to be in relationship with God. Now, most adults understand that the important things in life are not really things at all. The, the letter of 1 John is short enough, and I would encourage you to join me this Christmas season. And like reading through the five chapters of 1 John every day, I mean, it's, it'd take you 10 or 15 minutes every day to just read through all five chapters and let God speak to you about your relationship with Him. That's what 1 John is about, and that's what life is really all about. See, relationship is the most important thing in life. It's one of the values of our church. The average person in this world lives life for power and possessions and pleasure, thinking that those kinds of things are the most important things in life. But that's really not true at all. Real purpose is only found in relationship. And the birth and life of Jesus Christ is about relationship. So the Apostle John was one of these first hand-picked disciples of Jesus. He spent almost every day of his adult life walking with Jesus. For three years, he learned what it was like to walk with Jesus, to know and love Jesus. He was the last person that Jesus spoke to, you recall. When Jesus hung on the cross, he looked down at John the Apostle, and he said, this is your mother. Take care of Mary. Take care of Mother Mary. So see, John's perspective is a first-hand perspective. His relationship with Jesus was personal. And Christmas celebrates God in the flesh. Christmas celebrates the fact that you and I can have a relationship, a personal relationship with the true and living God who was born into this world, lived a real human life, and John observed that. Jesus lived a perfect life. John witnessed that. And then Jesus died and rose again, which John witnessed and validated. So we have a firsthand personal testimony experience that we're going to be looking at as we walk through this letter during this Christmas season. Uh, in a court of law, you know that if you have an eyewitness to your case, you have one of the strongest cases possible. And that's what we have with the Apostle John. John was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. And again, as a young adult, he walked away from making a living as a fisherman. 
and devoted his life to being a true disciple of Jesus. And you and I have that same invitation this year. You and I have the invitation to take everything about our life and focus it on walking with Jesus. Just as John was faithfully devoted to that intimate walk with Jesus, and his relationship was the priority of his life, his relationship with Jesus was the priority of his life. Oh, how I want to encourage you to make that, along with me, the highest priority of our life this Christmas season. Why? Well, because Christmas is about relationship with God. He became flesh to restore our broken relationship with God, which we broke with God with our sin. You were born to know God. And your sin separates you from God. And Jesus became flesh to provide the only way for you to fulfill the purpose of walking hand in hand through this life with God. So as we work through 1 John, we'll discover how Jesus made the way to restore your relationship and my relationship with God and how he wants to make that possible for every man, woman, and child on the Grand Strand. Every man, woman, and child in your family, in your neighborhood, as well as around the world. So what is so important about relationship with God? We want to explore that this morning and look at it from three different directions. First of all, relationship with God brings joy. Relationship with God brings joy. Let me point out again in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you etern the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what does John say that it takes for the joy of life to be complete? He points out at least three things here. See, his joy was found in walking with Jesus. He said, I've seen it. I've touched it. It was made manifest. And then he said, his joy was made complete in proclaiming the gospel. He said in verse 2, I proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. And then thirdly, John's joy was in walking in fellowship with God, in relationship, in fellowship with God. So John began this letter by describing his relationship with Jesus. And his relationship with Jesus brought him to the highest level of joy that a human being can experience. Now let's back up and explain what John was talking about here. See, he said, first of all, that, that joy can be complete when the priority of life 
is established on a healthy relationship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Most human beings today are looking for joy in life. They may not know it, may not recognize it, but everybody wants to be happy. Everybody is looking for joy in life. My definition of joy goes like this. Joy is an abiding sense of peace, hope, and contentment based on life with God. What am I saying? You can't have joy without having a restored relationship with God. It's impossible. Most people in this world are looking for happiness, what they think is happiness. And happiness is a sense of peace and hope and contentment based on circumstances. You know, if I'm healthy, I'll be happy. If I have a lot of money, I'll be happy. If I have a lot of friends, I'll be happy. If my sports team wins, I'll be happy. <laughs> and what's the problem with that? Well, everything that the world offers, the things of this world, the created things of this world can be taken away. And then what do you have left? You're left empty-handed. Only your relationship with God can produce a lasting kind of joy. And John got that. He watched Jesus enter into the final week of Jesus' life. And he watched Jesus be tortured and be crucified. And yet he realized that the joy that Jesus had, the joy that Jesus offered, was bigger than anything this world offers and it couldn't be taken away. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15 11, just before going to be tortured and crucified, listen to what Jesus said in John 15 11, this same author. He said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, when you have a relationship with God, based on your relationship with God through Jesus, it can't be taken away. That joy can't be taken away. It's not circumstantial. Pain can't take it away. You know, the loss of things of this world can't destroy your joy. Nothing can destroy that joy. So only God can produce the eternal joy that John was talking about in this opening paragraph of 1 John. Look at how he begins the letter in verse 1. He says, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. His joy was complete through the relationship that he had with Jesus. So what is joy? It's an expression of the praise that we have in the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11. The Bible says, you make known to me the path of life. All right? The path of life. You're walking down the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. <laughs> the presence of God brings the fullness of joy. When something's full, nothing else can be added. It's full. And the fullness of joy for you and me is in the presence of God, to walk in the presence of God. And then he says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
The pleasures come after the relationship. If you want to know what real joy is like in life, relate to God through Jesus Christ. Because joy is about relationship. And John witnessed that joy, that joy of Jesus firsthand. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't conjecture. It wasn't tradition. <laughs> it was a personal relationship. And he said that he wants our joy to be complete, just like his joy is complete. He wanted everyone to know that he had physically heard and seen and intently studied and tangibly touched God in flesh. Now, there's an awesome implication here. The implication is that God became accessible to you and me and all mankind in the most basic way. He became one of us. When several of us were in Africa recently, and I'm sure the same was true, Paul, for you and Kyle in India, if you want to relate to people of a different culture, of a different language, you have to have somebody to interpret for. You have to have somebody to communicate what you have in your heart to the people that you want to communicate to. And that's what God did for us when He came to this earth in the flesh. He came to communicate to us who God is and what God has done for us. God has revealed Himself to us in the flesh so that we can know Him personally and we can relate to Him intimately. You and I, believers, can have joy in relationship with God who is one of us. And that's why John refers to Him as the Word of Life. Life relates to us through the relationship that God has with us as He became one of us. And relationship with God brings joy through Jesus. In verse 2, look how this works. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. Testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Two times in this verse, he talks about manifest. Jesus being manifest. Manifest means to display or to show or to demonstrate something. And that's what God has done for us. God has put Himself on display for us to experience through Jesus. In other words, we can know God through Jesus and through Jesus alone. See, John found joy in proclaiming the eternal life. That's Jesus Christ. And you and I can find joy today in life when we do the same thing. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest feelings of joy that I have in life is sharing the eternal life of Jesus with someone and watching them Trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I don't know that there's anything more exciting in life 
than that. And that's what John was saying here. He was saying that it was his privilege to share the eternal life so that his joy could be complete, so that everyone in his life and everyone in future generations to come could have that joy that comes by knowing Jesus, the eternal life. See, Christmas gives us one of the greatest opportunities of the year to share the eternal life. And when we live with joy regardless of our circumstances, and we're willing to open our mouth when someone asks, how could you be content or in the eyes of the world happy when this is happening to you, some negative thing is happening to you. How could you be joyful through that? It gives you the opportunity to say, through the eternal life, through, through the joy that I have in my life, through Jesus. Take advantage of the opportunity this year, along with myself to jump on opportunities to share the eternal life with people during this Christmas season when people are more apt to ask questions, more apt to hear the gospel, probably than most any other time of the year. Then in verse 3, he gives another dimension to joy in life. He says, you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. Fellowship is one of the most important words that we're going to see as we move through the letter of 1 John. It speaks of communion. It speaks of a common bond, a living, breathing, sharing, loving relationship with God. And it's true with other relationships as well, but especially with God. That's why every year at uh, Christmas Eve time, we like to share communion. We like to share the Lord's Supper with our church family because it's a demonstration of the fact that God wants to have fellowship with us. And He wants our fellowship with Him to affect our fellowship with one another, with each other. You can find joy when you live in the kind of fellowship that John describes here, that living, breathing, sharing, loving relationship with God. In fact, that's why in John's gospel, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, if you want to have a relationship with God, that relationship with God is bridged between God and you through Jesus Christ. That's where the fellowship begins. It's with accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and letting Him be the bridge from your heart to God's heart. I don't know if you're aware of how important your joy is in this world or not. One of the greatest platforms that you have in this world to share Jesus with other people is by the overflowing joy that you have in your life based on your relationship with God and Jesus. Why would someone who's not a believer want to trust 
a Jesus who's demonstrated in the life of someone who always has a frown on their face, always sees the glass half empty, always has a negative uh, view toward life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so what he was saying was, let the joy of the relationship you have with God through Jesus overflow in your life. Let it pour out in your life so that other people will see the witness of God alive and working in your life. Your joy is important. That's why the enemy attacks your joy. He distracts you from your communion with God. He tempts you by wanting you to sin so that your relationship with God will be broken as a believer. He creates external circumstances, good and bad, that will draw you away from your communion with God and destroy your fellowship, your joyful, overflowing uh, example for walking with God. Recently, my cell phone has not been working well. It's almost, I mean, it's not even a year and a half old. It should be working just fine. But I tried to call my service provider and let them know that my phone wasn't working. And listen to this. My picture came up in my face and it said, no connection. (laughs) No connection. I couldn't send text messages I could only receive text messages if somebody was in my own uh, family. I mean, it was very, very, very distracting. I was trying to prepare this message on Tuesday. And it was so distracting that I was in a meeting and some of the people were going to be late for the meeting. They said, well, I texted you and told you I didn't get the message. I went to my service provider after that meeting to get my 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 information center fixed (laughs) because everything in the world is surrounding a cell phone now. It's frustrating. I walked in the door. Would you believe that there's a sign inside the door and it said, screenshot this uh, app and it'll put you to your place in line. I couldn't screenshot the app. So I said, Nobody's getting past me. I'm standing right here, and I'm not moving in this, from this door until I get somebody to help me. Ten minutes later, this lady comes out of the back, nice young lady, and she says, how can we help you? And I said, if I could do that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> and it dawned on me, I've got a witness to share here. You know, it says customer service is really employee service. It's really not customer service. But anyway, after, you know, literally over an hour, I sat there and I was frustrated because I couldn't do anything with my cell phone. I couldn't communicate with anyone. And it was frustrating. And God spoke to my heart through this text and said, you know, don't let anything steal your joy. Had an opportunity to pray for the people who were slowly walking about serving people in that office. It was an opportunity rather than an obstacle. And honestly, even more serious things in life are like that. We have a great opportunity especially this Christmas season, 
to demonstrate to the world that we have a source of joy that's greater than the distractions of this world. Greater than things that draw our attention away from our priority of knowing and loving God. So relationship with God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ, John says, opens the door for us to display to the world our source of joy, the only real source of joy, the eternal source of joy. So don't let people with bad attitudes, people that might cuss you out for trying to just do something that you normally do, like drive down the road or whatever, don't let anything steal your joy and the witness that your joy can produce. Because disciples of Jesus demonstrate a joyful relationship with God regardless to our, our difficult circumstances. And the greatest source of joy for John, again, was his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Is that true about you? What's your greatest source of joy today? That's a tough question. I'm not talking about up here. I'm talking about by the way you live. What's your greatest source of joy today? For some people, it's family. For some people, it's work. For some people, it's sex. For some people, it's money or things money can buy. For some people, it's popularity. It's what I look like on the outside. And on and on and on I could go. Well, let me ask you this. What happens when those things are taken away? Where's your joy then? See, the only real permanent source of joy is in Jesus Christ, the living Son of God. And that's why He became flesh to demonstrate that. So only fellowship and relationship with God through Jesus leads to a life of fullness of joy. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Secondly, what's so important about relationship with God? Well, relationship with God produces light. Produces light. In verse 5, John says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So what's so big about that? Well, John emphasizes that this message is about what God has told us about Himself. And that's the whole picture of God's Word. God's Word is what God has told us about Himself. God's message that's revealed to us through His Word, never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why God gave us this Bible. Anytime you're listening to a preacher or a teacher, and they're sharing something that is not consistent with God's Word, don't buy it. Don't buy it. False teaching was a problem in the first century, and we're going to read a lot about that in 1 John. But it's just as rampant today. In fact, it's probably more rampant today. That's why we're going to spend our Sunday night seminars in the month, uh, in the month of January on 
working through what we believe and go all the way through most of this coming year, every other month, focusing on God's Word. God's Word is the, is the central foundation for everything that we believe. And just as false teaching was a problem in the first century, the way we understand what false teaching is is by comparing it to the truth, the Word of God. And a proper understanding of God begins with this reality. God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness. So what's the value of light? Scholars tell us that light is the purest, most useful, most perfect of all creation. And that's the definition of God. God is light. God is perfect purity. There's no fault in Him. He's the infinite, eternal, unchanging Spirit. He's the perfect being where all things begin. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He always has been, He is now, and He always will be. And yet, He became one of us so that He could bring light to us. A penetrating, purifying, perfect light to us. So what is darkness? Well, darkness is the absence of light. And that's why in verse 6, John writes, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Christians can live a life of darkness. This statement is not made to non-Christians. This statement is made to believers. Too many of us today are practicing a life of walking in darkness. And John said, that shouldn't be. He said, if we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know what practice is. Practice is, uh, someone once said practice makes perfect. That's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you're practicing the wrong walk, and you keep practicing the wrong walk, you'll never become directed to the right walk. And so the issue here is not salvation, but the issue here is fellowship with God. Living an ungodly lifestyle is detrimental to the witness of a believer in the world. And a Christian can't be in fellowship with God and practice a lifestyle of sin. It's impossible. Because when you walk with God, He's going to expose darkness in your life and allow you to confess it and repent of it. Practicing walking in sin is a bad choice for three reasons. Number one, it hurts God. Number two, it hurts you. And number three, it hurts your witness. Walking in darkness means that you live day to day without any conscious awareness of God in your life at all. That's what it means to walk in the darkness. You wake up in the morning, you never think about God. You go to work, you do your duties of the day, you never think about God. You go to bed at night, you never think about God. That's walking in darkness. We're walking in darkness when we 
rarely think about God. It's being absorbed with the things of this world, being absorbed with the cares of this world. So does this describe your life today? If so, I want you to consider John's alternative. The alternative is to practice walking in the light. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So there's a solution to walking in darkness if you're a believer. And that's to restore your relationship with God by confessing your sin and allowing God's light to penetrate your heart and show you where your sin is so you can confess it and move out of darkness and walk in the light of God's Word. That, see, you practice living a life that's led by the Holy Spirit when you move out of darkness and move into light. Because if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is going to convict you for walking in darkness. And you practice living a life that's led by the Holy Spirit when you listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you, confess your sin, walk away from your sin, and walk with God. See, He is the light that exposes the darkness in your, in your life. Uh, when several of us were in Africa, back in the summer here, it was winter. It was the coldest week of the year in Zambia and Botswana where we were. One night we were in Botswana sleeping in a tent, and I was uh, sharing a nice big tent with Kyle, and we were trying to get a few hours sleep. And there was obviously no electricity <laughs> out in the dark places of Botswana. And I closed my eyes, and a, few, a little while later, I needed to get up, and I didn't want to wake Kyle up. And so I fumbled around in the darkness, and I found my cell phone. And when I turned my cell phone over, guess what happened? The screensaver came on. And that little screensaver light on my cell phone lit up the tent enough for me to see how to open the opening and get out of the tent. God has sent Jesus into the world, in the flesh. He became flesh so that we could have a light that would shine in the dark parts of our life and expose the things in our life that that we needed to avoid, that we needed to keep from destroying our joy and fellowship with the Lord and go around those things and not fall into the trap that would be there in darkness. See, darkness presents traps that want to destroy our life, want to hurt our life. And when we practice walking in the light, that means that we're listening and looking through God's eyes. That's why He became flesh, to set an example for us to live in the light and experience a lifestyle of godliness. See, Jesus presents the power for us to have a fellowship with God that exposes darkness and destroys darkness so that we can walk in His light, so that we can have a natural fellowship with God. 
So the light of Jesus exposes and reveals a lifestyle of darkness. Jesus is the spotlight. He's the example for us to follow to lead us out of darkness into the light of God. So when you sin, and you will, let the light of Jesus expose that sin so you can confess that sin and repent of that sin and move away from that sin. Darkness does a few things. It produces pain. It produces fear, gloom, despair, frustration. And the pain and darkness and fear and frustration and gloom and despair can be replaced by the light of Jesus that brings peace and joy and hope and confidence and comfort in life. So relationship with God brings joy and produces light. Finally this morning, what's so important about relationship with God? Well, relationship with God is rooted in forgiveness. Relationship with God is rooted in forgiveness. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that God is a forgiving God? There's nothing you've ever done, no sin you've ever committed, that God has not forgiven. You access that forgiveness of God when you confess before God your sins. See, the reason God came to this world in the flesh was to become a bloody human sacrifice to pay the penalty for the forgiveness of your sin against Him, my sin against Him. There are three critical words in this little paragraph, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. The first one is faithful. God is faithful. He is perfect. He is holy. He is pure. He is faithful. He wants to forgive. And Forgiveness characterizes God doing for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't work our way to forgiveness before God. God has been faithful to provide for us when He came to us in the flesh. And you can count on God to forgive your sin when you confess your sin. The second key word is just. This describes what is required for the payment of your sin. We're guilty before God. And the payment that we deserve is death. Eternal separation from God. But justice was served when Jesus came into this world and lived a perfect life and then sacrificed His life on your behalf so that His blood could pay the price for the penalty of your sin. He became your sacrifice. And so, yes, God has to punish sin. And God did punish your sin, but He punished your sin through Jesus. He laid all of your sin upon Jesus. 
That's why Jesus cried out when he hung there on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of your sin and my sin and the sin of the billions of people on earth from the last 2,000 years or from, from eternity to today was placed on Jesus. But God is just. He killed his own son to pay for your sin so that justice could be satisfied. But then the third word here is the word confess. God's done everything for you to provide joyful fellowship and a restored relationship with Him. He's provided everything. All you have to do is confess your sin and turn away from your sin and live your life for the glory of the goodness of God. Forgiveness starts by admitting, confessing your sin. You cannot be a Christian if you will not be willing to confess sin before God. Can't do it. It's impossible. Forgiveness through Jesus begins with confessing your sin. And it comes by believing that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, John says. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I can get excited about that. I can get excited about being forgiven. I can be excited about Christmas because Christmas opened the door for me to live a life in total forgiveness. Think for a moment of all the sins you've ever committed. Sins we inherited from Adam. The sins we committed as a kid. The sins of our growing up, the sins against our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters, the sins against our spouses, the sins against our children, the sins against our friends, the sins against our enemies, the sins against our employers, the sins against our employees, lying, stealing, cheating, adultery, swearing, drugs, promiscuity, murder, sins that haunt us every day. Sins we didn't even know that we were committing. All sin that's confessed before God has been paid for and forgiven by Jesus. That's God's part. That's what He's done for us. So why not confess and repent and receive forgiveness today? Well, some people say, I'm not that bad. My, my sin's not as bad as Hitler's. <laughs> my sin's not as bad as my neighbor's. Won't admit their sin. Some people say, well, I'm having too much fun. God will take away all my fun if I, if I become a believer, if I repent of my sin. That sin's too much fun. I, I don't want to give it up. You know, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And some people lose the value of God's forgiveness because they don't want to give up their sinful pleasure. Some people aren't willing to put Jesus, like John did, as the priority of life. Some people aren't willing to straighten up business practices 
or give up what money can buy or the fear of, of, of giving up what money can buy if they give their life. There's so many excuses people give for not confessing and repenting and receiving forgiveness. Oh, how I pray that's not you today. I pray that you would be willing to confess and repent and receive forgiveness so that your joy and fellowship and the forgiveness that God offers you can be your MO for life. Verse 10 is not a throwaway verse. Verse 10 says this, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. See, I want to be really clear here. Again, you can't be a Christian if you won't admit your sin. Confess it to God and repent of it and turn away from it. You can't. The door to forgiveness is through repentance, through confession. And at the same time, you can't take a passage like this and you can't say, well, God's going to forgive me, so I'll just sin anyway. That's, that's not living a life of confession and repentance. In fact, that's living a life that Jesus says here is not the lifestyle of, of a believer. You can't be a believer with that kind of attitude. See, God wants to forgive you more than you want to be forgiven, but your heart must be repentant and confessional. Willful sin undermines repentance. It's a sign that you really have never known the true grace of God. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, Treat God truthfully, and He'll treat you truthfully. And that is so true. Jesus wants us to have healthy relationships, and that begins by having a healthy relationship with Him. As we walk through this letter in the next four weeks, we're going to see how our relationship with God impacts the relationships that we have with everybody else. And God wants us to have healthy relationships. And confession and repentance open the door to a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with others. That's why Jesus became human flesh. He became human flesh to reveal the only way that you can be forgiven and have that healthy relationship with God and that healthy relationship with others. So what's so important about relationship with God? First of all, healthy relationship with God reveals the joy that Jesus gives you in this world. And that joy is a bridge to witnessing and sharing Him with other people. Secondly, your relationship with God reveals the light of Jesus in the world. Jesus said, let your light shine. Your relationship with Jesus is reflected to the world when you walk with Jesus in godliness. And thirdly, your relationship with God reveals the forgiveness of God to the world. If you're forgiven, it shows the world that God is a forgiving God. It gives you the opportunity to forgive like God forgives, and so forth.
Psalm 98 is a psalm that <clears throat> we sang at the opening of our worship service today. We think Joy to the World is a Christmas carol. We've made it that in our generation. But if you go back and read Psalm 98, you'll see where the songwriter expressed his relationship with God that's expressed through the way that he worships God. This year, 2023 Christmas, I would love to see Palmetto Shores Church members reflecting to the world the joy that we have in our worship of God that's made available to us through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And that's my prayer for us today. God, thank you that we have the opportunity to know you and to walk with you because of one reason. And that's because you chose to become flesh and live among us to establish and reestablish a relationship that has been broken by our sin. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to live a life of joy, a life reflecting the light of Jesus because we've been forgiven and we've received your forgiveness by admitting our sin, repenting of our sin, and saying along with the Apostle John, make our joy complete as we share this eternal message about the eternal life of God with people in our family and neighborhoods, and community, and throughout the world. God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to experience you in the fullness of your forgiveness today. In Jesus' name now, we continue to reflect and worship. Amen.